Welcome to The Alex Tremble Show, where we share the strategies and secrets you need to know in order to successfully increase your influence, build strategic networks, and advance in your career. An award-winning speaker, author, and leadership coach, Alex brings executive leaders from across the world to share their inspirational stories and insights to help you become an exceptional public servant while also reaching your career goals. Without further ado, here's your host, Alex D. Tremble. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble, and thank you again so much for joining us for another episode of The Alex Trimble Show. I am so happy to be bringing you today not only a phenomenal woman, but also a self-identified rebel in the workplace. See, Carmen Medina is phenomenal. She is the former Deputy Director for Intelligence at the CIA, as well as the former Director of the Center of the Study of Intelligence for the CIA. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what the CIA is, those are those scary people who work in the Central Intelligence Agency, just FYI. <laughs> so we're gonna have a really interesting conversation. We're gonna be talking about everything from how can one be a rebel within their workplace while also not plummeting or undermine their own career, as well as how do you build strategic relationships and networks across the organization where you're able to gain access to information that other senior leaders just don't have access to because people hide that information. So this is gonna be a very interesting and uh, thought-provoking conversation, but I also have something special I wanna share with you just before we get started. So as many of you may know, just one month from now, we will be celebrating the Public Service Appreciation Week. This is an opportunity for me, you, all of us to show our public sector servants that we truly do care and appreciate all the work they've done to help us get through not only this most recent crisis, but all the other things that public servants do on a daily basis. So this year, The Alex Trimble Show is honoring our public servants with the 2021 Unsung Heroes of Federal Service Awards. This is an opportunity for, again, you, your friends, your colleagues to nominate public sector leaders who are doing great things within their office, within their community, and so on and so forth. We have four categories that public servants can be nominated for. The Team Hero Award. They may have suggested, created, or contributed to an innovative solution to help a team adjust to telework. The second category is the whole health hero. These individuals triumphed in implementing self-care to balance life, work, and the social-emotional challenges of 2021. The third category is the customer-centered hero. These individuals suggested or championed the process and or service improvements to respond to the customer's changing needs. And finally, the last category is the bounce back or the resilient hero. These individuals demonstrated resilience and were positive as they recovered from any setbacks that may have happened in 2020. Now, the recipients of the 2021 Unsung Heroes of Federal Service Award will be interviewed for The Alex Tremble Show. We'll have a blog written about them so everyone can hear their impactful, inspiring stories. And finally, they'll get access to a free professional development course so they can not only continue to thrive in their job, but make sure they have an opportunity to reach whatever career goals and aspirations they have. 
So, if you know a federal employee who deserves to be nominated for any of these four categories, we want you to visit WAPA.org forward slash PSRW, that is W-A-E-P-A dot O-R-G forward slash PSRW and nominate them today. Shoot, if you're a federal employee and you believe that you qualify for any of these four categories, we want you to come and nominate yourself. Please be sure to visit WAPA.org forward slash PSRW. Nominations close on April 10th and we want to make sure we hear your voice. So if you didn't catch that URL or you'd like to learn more about this award, please go to the description section of this episode where you'll find the link and more information to learn more about this reward. So one last bit of information before we get this started. Uh, After we recorded this interview, I realized that there were some technical issues with the mic. So although it may sound like Barry White is conducting this interview, I can absolutely guarantee you that it's not. It's actually me. So I apologize for the sound in advance, but look, the content is going to be so impactful that I promise you'll even forget about it. I let me take that back. That promise you'll 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 realize it. But either way, you'll learn a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much. And let's go on and get started. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from the Alex Trimble Show. And I'm so excited that I'm going to be joined here today by um, a friend of a friend of mine. And I'm hoping that in the future, she'll be a friend of mine as well. And you will see why uh, when we get into this conversation, um, she has so much value, so much experience um, to share that anyone who has the, uh, the who's, who's lucky enough to be close to her is definitely going to be benefiting. So I'm hoping that I can get just a little bit close to her after this, uh, this conversation today. Um, how are you doing uh, today, uh, Carmen? I'm doing great. And you, Alex? I am doing beautiful. I am doing blessed. Um, I'm here with you, which is, again, the highlight of my day today, to be completely honest. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm feeling sorry for you now, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I honestly, I, I've been telling my wife about this interview coming up for the last week, and she's seen how excited I am. Um, so I, t- really, this is the highlight of my day. and I'm, I'm really looking forward to asking you a few questions. <laughs> you bet. So, you know, I, I, you, I will give you the opportunity to kind of talk about, you know, your career if you'd like to and what all of you've done. Um, but just some quick notes. Um, as I started researching you, you know, I found that, you know, you were the director of the Center of Intelli- uh, the Center for the Study of Intelligence. You're also the deputy director um, for intelligence at the CIA. These are both very important, pivotal positions in the CIA. Yet, at the same time, you're a self-described troublemaker who really, um, <laughs> who asks stupid questions uh, and notices odd, uh, asks stupid questions and noticing odd new things that might amount to something, or maybe not. So how do those two things um, jive? How do you be such a senior level person at what someone say the CIA, a very serious organization, yet still be a rebel. How do you do those two? Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's not an easy path. I mean, I it's certainly not one that a lot of people take. Um, I would say that for the first ten to fifteen years of my career, it was very conventional. I like to say I'm not a Type A, but I'm kind of like a Type 
B plus, maybe, maybe I get to A minus every once in a while, which, which I think for me means that I'm, um, I want to achieve things. I always wanted to achieve things, but I never had a lot of personal ambition. I never said, oh, well, I'm going to reach this level or I want to be, you know, make a million dollars by the time I'm 40 or whatever those sort of conventional ways of thinking about ambition are. And, um, but I, I, I think I naturally have a in, um, intuitive, curious mind. And I've always wanted to learn. And uh, I'm the person who never lost that childhood question, why? Why are we doing it this way? And so as I got into my career at, at CIA, and it was very successful the first 10, 15 years, uh, but as I became more experienced, I realized that there were lots of things about the CIA's business model that I thought were falling behind the times. And the internet just quickened that, that pace of uh, regression. And um, I started really questioning the, uh, what the CIA was doing it, and I did it in a very bad way. I was, um, I, within a couple of years, I went from being a high flyer, GS-15, to everyone thinking of me as cynical and negative and not being able to get any kind of job that could be a launching pad to the senior service. And um, born out of that experience, I learned a lot of lessons and um, that a lot of them are encapsulated in, in Rebels at Work, which is a website and a book. The website is free, just, just a hint to there. Uh, but, um, but I, you know, I always was true to my ideas and sort of what happened to me, and there's a lesson there, right? What happened to me, and it's a long story, and I want to get on to your next question, but that after 9-11 and after the disaster of the Iraqi WMD non-discovery, there was a lot of energy around, we've got to transform the CIA, we have to make it better. And when they started, look, I was actually told this, when they started talking to officers about how the CIA needed to change, I was one of the few people that had always been on record on that issue. And sort of from a very specific tactical uh, explanation, that's how a troublemaker and a heretic becomes a senior leader because at some point, if you're right, these views that are seen as troublesome all of a sudden become really desirable in an organization. And that usually happens in a moment of crisis. Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, one first, everyone who's watching and listening, please go to her, her website, read her book, honestly. Um, and I'll put that information in the, the description below. Um, second is, I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I feel like at the executive level, sometimes people don't understand and even at the senior, just the senior leader level, um, people don't understand the pressures there are to conform. Um, yes. Because you have to take in political um, political savvy and what's going on. Like you could, like you said, you're kind of putting yourself in a closet for for a while. Um, how did you? I mean, it sounded like you said, you know, if you're right, you win. You, if you, because you are right, you ultimately 
pole vaulted again. Um, is there a way to do it without putting yourself in a closet? Uh, you said you kind of did it maybe the wrong way. I, I, well, how would you recommend right, right. doing it the right way? Right. And, and that's really what the book Rebels at Work is about and what a lot of what I do now, you know, speaking engagements pre-COVID mm-hmm. is to talk to people about how to be more constructive and therefore successful change agents. And I made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the one that I, I will highlight just a couple here. First, uh, it was always about me being right. It was about, about my ego. And mm-hmm. I did not spend a lot of time gaining supporters for my vision early on. And so I think arguably the first step, the number one priority of a change agent in an organization is to make your idea somebody else's idea, right? Is to make your idea contagious. And so sometimes to do that, you'll have to compromise on your views because really the volume of supporters early on, I believe, is more important than the purity of your ideas. So that's that's my first lesson. The yeah, second yeah. thing I would say is that uh, you need to think about what you are proposing and understand how it relates to the organization's goals. And I did a horrible job at that. So particularly in the mid 90s, my mantra was the internet is for real and it's going to change the work of every knowledge organization. You could see that that I was right. I mean, you know, now, I mean, now this seems obvious, but in mm-hmm. 1995 <laughs> through the year 2000, this was not obvious. And what I did not fully comprehend or take into account was that how that idea clashed with the prevailing culture of the CIA. The internet was about open information, access to everyone, transparency. None of those values were associated with the CIA. The CIA has gotten a little better, but particularly in the mid 1990s, coming out of the Cold War, it was secrecy or bust. And I, uh, now today, when I talk to people, I go, if first thing you need to do is diagnose your ideas and determine how they differ. What's the gap between your idea and the organization's sacred theology? And you need to, that doesn't mean that you sometimes don't have to to do it anyway, but you need to uh, proceed much more carefully in that case. And there are, you know, techniques you can use such as gaining supporters, and also finding that area in the Venn diagram where your ideas overlap a little bit with what the culture values. And I think I call that approaching through an adjacency is, is a really good way to go forward. Uh, th- thank you for sharing that. Um, and, and what I will do is I don't want to ask any more questions along that line because I want people to go out and buy the book. Um, I, I think that, and, and this is, and this is a, it's actually a really serious thing for me. Um, I was talking to uh, an executive the other day and we were talking about, you know, getting, um, helping government employees and government leaders move to the next level. Mm-hmm. And it, we, we, we kind of got frustrated because we felt like there is a, um, we've kind of built this culture of someone else needs to invest in me. It, everything needs to be given to me versus mm. if I want something, 
Let me go out and spend the money. Let me go spend the time. Let me go spend the effort to learn that skill. And so people need to read your book. Again, this is the personal thing now. There's no way that they're going to get all the value of that book from the, the short time you and I have together. And so to really gain it, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent. So I, I, apologize. I, 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 I do appreciate that. And there is kind of a fine line that you have to walk between, uh, you know, be, you know, being sharing and being open with your ideas. And yet at the same time, hoping that people appreciate the value that you're bringing and that, you know, in some ways you get appreciated in the tangible way. So yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you, Alex. Appreciate you. <laughs> so um, I had a different question in mind, but you kind of jogged my memory on something else I had read. Um, you were talking about the challenges in regards to social networks. Mm. Um, and I'm interested in that because we are in this world of social networks and, and we're, we're encouraged to socially network or network in general. And I, I'm of the mindset that um, problems are going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more complex, especially given how interconnected our world is now. Um, COVID, right? Um, how do you do that networking, building those relationships, collaborating in a safe manner. So I guess, what are your, what are your cog, what are your cautions about this? What, you, what kind of keeps you up at night, quote unquote, keeps you up at night about the, the these, these social networks and the, the collaboration culture? Yeah, well, you know, the easy problems have all been solved, right? As, as the longer humanity prospers on this planet, the more of the easy problems we're solving and we're sort of left with the hard ones. I, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to go back to, uh, like 2005 when I was at CIA and um, when I became a senior leader. So I was part of the executive team that led all the analysts. So I had thousands of people that, that we were responsible for, analysts. And uh, I knew uh, that it, it was really hard to stay in touch with what the average analyst was thinking and experiencing. I knew that. And I knew that mid-level managers, their kind of goal was to keep the senior managers from knowing, understanding any reality other than the one that they wanted to convey. I know that. So, and this this will get this will get to the point of social networks. So, I um, I asked my uh, human capital team. I said, I want a list of every employee in the directorate by date of birth. And they said, oh, we, we can't give that to you. That's against the law. You can't know their age. And I went, oh, that's fine. I just want their date of their birthday. And that way I can figure out the horoscope signs, but right, not, not know the year. And then we had an instant mess. I'm going into the details on this because this is something anybody can do, I believe. And I, um, so I got the readout, you know, it was just a big printout. And every, you know, on every, on average, every day had about 10 birthdays. And on Mondays, it would be like more like double or triple because of the weekend. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I used the secure behind the firewall instant messaging system that we had at the agency. And I believe every government agency has something like that now. And I just wished 
on their birthday, I would just send an instant message, happy birthday. Now, when this began, people thought they were being spoofed. They didn't know what to think, right? But what happened, and this is the kind of uh, social experiment, after about six months, this is what was going on. 90% of the people that I wished a happy birthday to just said, thanks, Carmen. Of that other 10%, nine out of 10 of those remaining people, they wanted to have a conversation with me. There was something that they want, they were waiting for the opportunity to, to say X, Y, or Z. And uh, nine out of those 10, we could resolve right then and there. It was, you know, a simple question that I could take care of. But one out of those 10 was too complex and they got on my calendar. And my executive assistant knew to put that person on my calendar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I did, this was not my plan when I all, I, all I wanted to do was wish happy birthday. That's the power of a social network. When you network out and reach out to people that uh, you can get inputs and ideas that you had no, you had no way of otherwise knowing that they were important. I could never have come up with the questions to ask someone yeah, to get yeah. that data input that they voluntarily offered. And how long did it take me? About 10 minutes a day to do that. If you as a senior executive can't spend 10 minutes a day, invest 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes on Fridays and Mondays to gain ground truth, yeah. you're an idiot. You are, your priorities are wrong as far as I'm concerned. So that's a small, intimate social network. So I, you know, I, I, I like to say Twitter is my knowledge strategy. You know, my area of uh, expertise is the world, you know, understanding world affairs, understanding issues as they are emerging. In that, if that's your area of responsibility, it's really easy to get tra trapped in a knowledge silo. You know, the New York Times is a knowledge silo. Foreign affairs is a knowledge silo. That information is carefully censored, not, you know, maliciously, but inevitably because of their worldview. I like to get out there and find brand new voices out in the world that uh, I can learn from. And so for me, that's, that's what social networks are about. My number one rule is I never argue. I, I just, you know, it is very rare. I mean, a couple of times I have, but very rare for me to get into a mano a mano with someone on a social network. I just don't do it. I'm not, I'm not there to change opinions. I'm just there to gather impressions and information. And for me, it works really well. You, you know, it's really funny. Um, <laughs> I, like, I'm the same way. Um, I do have a rule as well. I don't argue on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a good forum. And I think I remember, um, uh, I won't get into the details, but I'll say a couple of years, a few years ago, um, there is a big change in our world. And there is a lot of discussion on social media about what was going on. And I remember doing my best and I was stressed out trying to convince people to think a different way and it wasn't helping. So, so, so I, I realized that, you know, 
typing someone is not a great form for discussion. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and and I, you know, I feel stress sometimes not arguing. Like I really feel like I've got the telling point that I could make that could, you know, allow that person <laughs> to see the light. But I still don't do it. And the reason why I don't do it is I've learned over my career that it's really bad to embarrass somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It's a horrible emotion to call up in another person embarrassment or even worse humiliation mm -hmm. and let's say that i'm right that boy i have just a zinger that will make that person feel this small mm -hmm. what have i really accomplished not much at all and so uh that's a, you know that's how i just control myself no i'm not gonna argue well i, I pray praise to you um, <laughs> I'm on that bandwagon. Uh, so you mentioned um, stress a bit and you made me think of a different story. So there is a, um, a monk um, I know, and he's a really, actually a really cool monk. Um, not saying other monks aren't cool, but the point being, um, we went and did a donation to him a few weeks ago, you know, a couple months ago, actually now. We did a donation for a birthday that happened. So we went and donated food. Um, and it was, we got there really late because we had a long day of work and we wasn't able to get to, to, to the temple until I think it was like nine o'clock at night. And when we knocked and he came down to accept the donation and give the blessings and all things like that, my, my wife is Buddhist. Um, I could see in his face, he was tired. Mm. He was really tired. And yet he still needed to come down and do his job. Um, to, to give these blessings. And it made me think, you know, I think it's really easy to forget that these senior leaders have a lot on their plate, yet they still have to do those extra things to keep people yes. engaged, keep right. moving. Yeah. So yeah. What, what are your, have you ever felt just tired? And how, how do you go about, I guess, conserving or increasing your energy to keep moving the, that needle forward with your teams? Yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, good, good question. Um, I have to say, and this is actually not the the best quality about me. It's gotten me into trouble and because sometimes I'm inappropriate. Yep. <laughs> but I always see the humor in things. I mean, it's I cannot help but see the humor in things. So we would have, you know, uh, a weekly meeting of our direct reports. So these are office directors who who in turn have hundreds of people working for them. And so we're talking, you know, at the CIA, we're talking about momentous issues in our one hour long corporate staff meeting. At least some of them are momentous. Some of them are, are stupid. Uh, and almost <laughs> inevitably, I would literally break out into uncontrollable laughter <laughs> during some discussion because it just struck me as so ridiculous. And I would say, Half of my corporate board laughed with me, and the other half, I'm sure, thought I lacked gravitas as a leader, you know, whatever. Uh, but I think laughter is always, is, can, is always physically relaxing when you're in a difficult situation. And so I, 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 I believe in humor. Um, I believe in empathy. And I think empathy helps with stress. And I'm in Texas right now, and I'm a caregiver for my mom. You know, 
she, I didn't ask to be in this position. I kind of stumbled into it and she mm -hmm. needs a lot more and more help. And every once in a while I can get kind of uh, stressed and, and, and angry about what I'm experiencing, the emotions I'm experiencing. And I just make myself think, how must she be feeling? And that actually, you know, that, you know, helps. So several stern talks with yourself during the day, <laughs> uh, particularly when you feel that stress is getting the better of you, yeah. I think is important. And the third thing I'd say, something I actually mentioned in the book, it's this idea that you need to recognize your lizard brain. You know, we all have kind of this primitive brain in us associated with the brainstem that, you know, associated with the fight or flee uh, instinct in humans. And you need to become conscious of signs that your lizard brain is, is acting up, right? You know, you feel the heat on the back of your neck. You feel your palm sweating and then you have to have some kind of mechanism to uh, deal with that so you have like a little mantra that you say to yourself um, or you recognize the fetus thoughts and you you ban them from your brain so i think you need to and i, I gave this talk once at a at a another federal agency i was talking about this and these two women i think it was dod some, something in the bowels of the Pentagon. These two women started laughing when I got to this point and, and they said, and one of them said to the other, let's go get some coffee. And they had, they were often in meetings together. And when one or the other felt the stress boiling up in the other one, they would say, let's go get some coffee. That was their like <laughs> secret <laughs> coffee. Let's go, let's go get some coffee. I love that, right? So I think having a, a friend that helps you deal with stress and and can you know have that intervention when they see that it's getting more difficult for you is is invaluable thank you for tuning in to the alex tremble show we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors federal open season is over but you can apply for wave life insurance year-round wave has been ensuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years WEBA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fegley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEBA Group Term Life Insurance and see how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com courses networking to learn more about his networking model today.
Use the discount code PODCASTFAMILY on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com slash courses slash networking. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. You, 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 you make so many great points. And I want to continue down that road because you said the friend component. Um, this is something I haven't been able to get a good answer for yet, but I know that you're going to answer it perfectly. So putting on the spot. Um, <laughs> the, I, I feel like I've, I've spoken to a number of executives who, who find it difficult to build those real, really strong relationships, um, quote unquote friend relationships, because they're, they're too, I don't say too focused, because they're so focused on the work and getting things done. They don't, I guess, maybe make the time to have those quote unquote friend relationships and even mentorship, like having someone to mentor them they, they just, they feel like they don't have the time to do that. Um, can you just get your reaction to this? Yeah, well, my first reaction when you're saying that they, they don't have the time because there's so much work that they're doing, you know, people are the work. And, uh, you know, I, I find, <laughs> I, I, I got this piece of advice when I was at Georgetown. It was such a great piece of advice. This professor called me up and took me aside and said, Carmen, you're going to be a manager someday. I can tell. I'm not really sure how, but he said, I have one piece of advice for you. Be lazy. Took me years to figure out what he meant, but I realized now what he meant was don't do the work yourself. Delegate it. Give other people that responsibility. And when you, you know, and that's consistent with the people being the work. We used to say at CIA, that our job as managers, and I strongly believe this, was not to produce great analysis. My job was to produce great analysts because that, that would go on forever in perpetuity. And so I think that managers that don't feel they don't have enough time, they have too much work to invest in their people, they need a strong talking to, and they need to be... Uh, they need to be recalibrated. And I don't want to be too harsh on them because I know what organizations do. Organizations kind of impose that responsibility on managers. And I, I did this several times in my career. And, and let me tell you, it's hard to do. But I uh, delegated work to people who I wasn't sure were ready for that job. I was hopeful, but I wasn't sure. Oftentimes that worked, sometimes it didn't. And I had to be at peace with accepting that responsibility because, you know, this is one of my favorite things to say, trust is a muscle. Mm -hmm. Trust is not yeah. a uh, condition. Trust is like exercise. You build trust by engaging in trust. If, you're, if I'm confident that you're gonna do the work, I'm not trusting you. I'm confident. Oh, it's wow. when I'm, right? It's when I'm not completely confident yeah. that I am trusting that you, I am trusting either A, that you'll do the work, 
or B, that even if you don't do the work, you'll have an invaluable growth experience. Yeah. That's, That's trust. trust. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I, I do too. <laughs> one, of my favorite, one of my favorite things I've ever said. <laughs> and you will be quoted for it. <laughs> you know, and I've looked it up on Google uh, more than more once than because I, I, I thought, well, I can't be the first person that said this. And uh, there's, there's not a lot of discussion about this, this idea. Well, so, so then to getting to that point, um, how do you, as a manager, build that trust muscle? I mean, at, at first time is probably going to be difficult. Um, do you, d- did you try to put in guardrails? So if they yes. did fail, it would, okay. Yeah, so you start small. You start with a uh, uh, tasks or responsibilities that are um, uh, a little bit of a stretch, but not a huge stretch. And, and this I always said to people who worked for me. So there's a lot of ego involved in the job of an analyst. You're thinking and you're, you're writing. And when I as a manager say, well, that's all wrong, that's a really difficult, that's an ego uh, uh, blasting kind of thing. So uh, what I said to people, I, I say, look, there are things that I know how to do at this point because of my experience better than you know how to do them. I can write an implications for the United States section at the drop of a hat and you're a 27 year old starting out and that's gonna be hard for you. So don't feel, don't feel bad that you can't get it right and don't spend five days trying to get it right and delay the project. Let's co- come to me early on and we'll work it out. I'm not judging you on that at all. Your performance. What I and this helps create that trust. What I what I will judge you on is when you need help. Do you come to me or your colleagues when you need help at the appropriate time? Thumbs up. And as you gain experience, do the things that you need help on change? You know. So other stuff now you've conquered, and I can tell by the questions that you're asking that your understanding has become more sophisticated. So I'm judging you on growth, not execution. And I think that creates an atmosphere of trust. And that's, that's kind of a way I had of, I guess, building the guardrails up. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of reading this book right now called, um, oh my God, what is it called? Um, it's thing is called, oh, give and take. Um, mm. really- Yo, that's by... Uh, Adam Grant? Adam Grant, my my good friend. Oh, awesome. So you're going to introduce me to him. I do know him, yes. (laughs) So great book. Mm -hmm. And it talks about, you know, the importance of being a giver, especially when you're talking about talent development, Um, investing in everyone, not just kind of picking and choosing who is going to be great and investing your time in it. Um, And this sounds like you're someone who is like that. You want to invest in all. But then I'm in the chapter right now where it's talking about even when you're investing in people, you have to also be cognizant of if they're just, they're just not going to be good at this particular thing. Um, so have you ever been in a situation where um, you've been investing in someone and they just don't seem to be able to attain the, the level of quality that you think is required for the job? And how do you, how would you do with that? Yeah. You know, I, don't, I have to say that most 
people, and I'm just going through my memory banks, that I've, you know, coached or worked with, worked for me, eventually find the right place for themselves. And so I, I do always, you know, try to, you know, help people find where, where they're, where they should be, because I think half, 90% of management is, is matching people with the job they're good at. Once you do that, you have, you, you can be lazy. There's really nothing else for you to do. Right. <laughs> and so there, there can be this, uh, 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 so I think that that's, you know, rather than knocking your head against the wall, I think people that weren't make perhaps the best analysts ended up doing something equally wonderful uh, in the organization. I was disappointed once most by someone who was unethical. And I was just, you know, just devastated by that, that somebody was just, you know, basically plagiarizing, which is just, you know, kind of un unforgivable, I thought. So you actually took me to the next question I wanted to ask you. Um, you said unethical. And this, uh, I was talking to um, a current uh, SES right now, and he went through a very difficult political situation, which ultimately resulted in him finding another opportunity. To, um, and when he explained to me how this all came about, he basically shared that um, he realized that his supervisor, his superior, wanted him to do some things that were not in alignment with his values. Mm -hmm. um, that person wanted him to do things in a, in a way that he didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And so when he realized this, what he did was he just went and hired someone um, who had those values to, to implement those, those ideas. Hmm. And that ended up very poorly because that person had those values right, <laughs> and they ultimately right. ended up um, finding a way to politically push him out. Right. H have you ever had to work in a situation where your values weren't in alignment with someone who you were working for? And, and how did you manage that relationship? Yeah, well, I remember, you know, when I became a senior leader uh, at CIA and Thankfully, I don't actually remember the details, but I remember, and this was during the war in Iraq and lots of bad things were happening. I remember there was a particularly egregious thing that the CIA or the, the administration was thinking of doing. And I thought, you know, if they don't change their mind, I'm going to have to resign because I just cannot uh, tolerate this. Luckily, they did change direction and they didn't do it. Um, I, I, I have worked for people who were borderline unethical, almost like obliviously unethical. And um, one person in particular had this idea that he could spend agency funds on like wedding gifts for people, yes. And this is a little bit more understandable in the CIA context because you're dealing with a foreign national, but still it was unethical. And I am not confrontational by nature. And I did just go in there and say, you know, I just don't think that this is in the regs. And he didn't like it, but he accepted it. And so I learned, and this was sort of midway maybe like at the 15 year point of my career. That was an important lesson. I learned that you can say it and um, 
you know, you can trust that at least the majority of the time the other person isn't a sociopath. And, and, and you know, a lot of times people do bad things and keep doing it because they've never been called on them. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I guess we can end where we began um, with asking you about your your rebelness, mm. um, you know. Again, for those who are who are listening and watching, it's really funny actually because yes, I read it in your your bio. I also saw it on the internet. I saw the pictures you posted. Your background, like everything of you, screams rebel. Um, that you're willing to to push the envelope, um, and at the same time, I feel like there are so many people who want to do that but they don't feel like they have the ability to do that. Um, do you have any words of advice or guidance on how someone could feel empowered enough to, to push the envelope when they believe it needs to be pushed? Now, again, they, there's right way to do it. And there's wrong way to do it. And you, right, you explain right. that in your book, but any, any words of advice? Well, first, never lose your ability to ask the question, why? Why? I think a lot of people, when they get into a position of management, feel like the only question they can ask is how, you know, how do I, how do I get it done? How do I do it? Uh, but they also, I think, need to ask the question why. And that's why I always say about myself that I ask the stupid question. So why in a meeting all about execution is often like, the, the elephant in the room, the question nobody wants to ask. But, you know, so when you, you have this experience, you have, you're having this conversation in your head, gee, I don't know why we're doing this. And you, everybody seems confident around you. So you go, well, no, I'm not going to ask it. No, ask it. Ask it that one time. Mm -hmm. And that is a way of... Um, engaging in that rebellious activity. And, you know, people call it rebelling, but I, I think of it as, well, let's not settle. Let's not just settle. Let's, let's explore other options. Maybe there's an even better way to do something. And um, that I think is the approach you have to have. Of, and then the other thing is, it just cannot be about your ego. Mm, yeah, and it can't be because you want to sound like the smartest person in the room. So, kind of here's the 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 bookend to the advice I just gave. You know, ask why. The bookend is, but don't ask why too often. Mm. Ask yourself, how many of my brilliant ideas can my organization tolerate? This is a serious question. Can it tolerate 10 brilliant ideas from me every year? Probably not. Can it tolerate only one? No, it's probably not ambitious enough. So to ask yourself, I think maybe I can, uh, the organization will tolerate, I can uh, risk two to three kind of brave ideas every year. And then once you have that idea, then prioritize your ideas. Okay, if I only have, you know, practically speaking, two to three great ideas I can 
get the organization to tolerate which of my ideas are the best and then which of these ideas can I get the most support for and then proceed that way. And I think if you just go through that mental discipline, um, you uh, will be able, you will be more rebellious. I, you know, I, for example, on performance appraisals, I wish we would ask managers, you know, what failure are you most proud of in the last year? I'm with and, you. Uh, right? And mm -hmm. what did you learn in the last year that really surprised you? Those are the, that, that kind of thinking gets you to a place where you're going to be more quote unquote rebellious. Yeah. And, and I, I honestly believe if, if you haven't failed at all, that means you were aiming way too slow. I mean, way too low. I mean, right, right, right. If, if you're hitting everything spot on, it's too easy. Push the target back a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you know, thank you so much for your time today, Ms. Carmen. I, I greatly appreciate everything that you shared with us. I, I do want to open it up to you. Do you have any last thoughts, um, ideas, anything you'd like to share? Um, again, please promote your book. I want everyone to get this book. Um, well, <laughs> well, we have, actually, we have two books. We have the original Rebels at Work, uh, that came out in 2014. They're both available on Amazon. And then just last year, we went through our blog, called out the very best pieces, organized them into categories. And we're calling that Rebel Dispatches. Dispatches. And so either one of those, both of them would make wonderful Christmas presents for all your loved ones, right? <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, a lot of people uh, hand out Rebels at Work as a graduation present. Oh, yes. For because they uh, some, the foundation as they go into the workforce. For someone entering the workforce. But mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, everybody should just keep doing good. Yeah. That's, you know, do their best, do good. Well, well I, I will end our, our conversation today with saying, if you appreciate, I'm going to use the word that we, you know, Carmen and I used earlier. If you appreciated what was shared today, please take the time click the like, click subscribe, click the share, whatever it is to get this message out. We want to make sure that the time that Carmen allocated and delegated and donated to us today is, is, is well spent. So again, thank you so much for being here. Um, as always, tell everyone, stay strong, stay positive, definitely stay moving. Hey, Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye, Carmen. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. <laughs>